O Lord our God, we praise and thank you. For you are the God of all grace. And you have given us the message of reconciliation. And it's not just a message. But by your grace, we have experienced the joy, the blessedness, the reality of reconciliation. That we are reconciled to you by Christ and his Shepherd. Now may we know that reality, that experience of reconciling to one another. Oh, may we know not just the joy of being forgiven, but the joy of being forgiven. Oh God, we pray that you may help us to receive the teaching of your word. Help us to concentrate, to be alert, to take in your word, so that we may be blessed and that you may have the glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, dear children, this morning we are going to consider how John the Baptist, because of his faithful preaching of God's word, was beheaded. I don't think I can ask you to draw a picture of the head of John the Baptist on a plate. That would be too terrible. Maybe you can draw John the Baptist in a prison instead. The other things in this passage which I would not like to ask the children to draw. Now let us turn back to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and let me read to you verses 17 to 20. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he hurt him, he did many things and hurt him gladly. Now friends, this morning we shall continue our studies in the life and ministry of John the Baptist. Now we have already noticed that John was the most selfless and self-effacing man. He was also the most Christ-centered man when his disciples came to him and were tempting him to jealousy, he could say about Jesus, he must increase, and I must decrease. 
that reminds me of the saying of the 18th century evangelist George Whitfield, who no doubt was the greatest evangelist in that age, maybe of all age, and he could say, let the name of George Whitfield perish. And therefore he founded no denomination after his own name. And John the Baptist, pointing out to Jesus, even leading his own disciples away from himself to Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have already noticed John was also a man of great courage. He dared to say to people lying up to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, bear fruits of repentance. And don't rely on the fact that you are children of Abraham. And don't even rely on your baptism. Now this morning, we are going to consider again the courage of the Baptist. It is a sad reminder that we are living in a fallen and twisted world. That sometimes the best of men have the worst of men associated with their names. The most godly and faithful king Hezekiah had Manasseh as his son. And John the Baptist's name was forever associated with Herod Antipas. Above all, the blessed name of our Lord Jesus will always be remembered together with that crooked Roman governor Pontius Pilate. You will call the only human being that is named in the Apostle Creed other than our Lord in the flesh is Pontius Pilate. Every time we say the Apostles' Creed, we mention the name of Pontius Pilate. That is the sort of world we live in. Now this morning, let us consider John's interaction with Herod Antipas. And therein we see his courage. Somehow, the Baptist was invited to preach before King Herod Antipas. Now in the New Testament, you're going to get confused because there are quite a number of Herods. But they all started with what we call Herod the Great. The Herod who wanted to kill Jesus when he was born. The Herod who killed all the infants under the age of two when he could not kill Jesus. And he was called the Great because he was a shrewd politician. He could navigate through the choppy waters of the politics of the Roman Empire. The Herod associated with John the Baptist was Herod the Great's second son. 
And after the death of his father, he was in charge of Galilee under the Romans. And no doubt, uh, we call this Herod, Herod Antipas. No doubt, Herod Antipas heard of John, heard of John, and invited John to preach before him. Now the history of this man, Herod Antipas, was associated with his sister-in-law, who became his wife. On one occasion, Herod Antipas visited his brother Philip. And then Herod Antipas fell in love with his brother's wife, Herodias. Terrible things. Now why do we call this lady Herodias? Because she was a granddaughter of Herod the Great. And she herself was married to her half-uncle, Philip. Yes, she was a niece married to an uncle. Now all the descendants of Herod, as far as we know, they, they were bad characters. I don't want to go to the details, but their violence, intrigue, immorality, incest, you name it. So after Herod Antipas fell in love with his brother's wife, Herodias, they decided they would follow their heart's desire. They would both divorce their respective spouses and they would get married to each other. So they did. Well, in a sense, this man, Herod Antipas, was brave because he was married to a princess of a kingdom nearby. And by divorcing his wife, he would upset his father-in-law and he would get into trouble as surely as he did because his father-in-law would raise an army and attack him. But whatever, they got married, it was all legal. According to the Roman law, you know the Romans, they were that serious about legality. Yes, it was a legal marriage, proper divorce, with marriage, but in the eyes of God, this was an incense. It was not to be done. It was plain wrong. And when John, when John the Baptist was invited to preach before Herod, among other things, he dared to say to Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife as your wife. He got the courage. Not just once, the NIV translated it well here. He says, John had been saying to Herod. The tense there is uh, an imperfect tense, meaning John repeatedly tells Herod, it is not right for you to have your brother's wife. So perhaps in every second sermon Herod heard from John the Baptist, 
he, in the coming to the conclusion the, of the application of the sermon, Herod would hear John saying to him, it is not right for you to have your brother's wife. What courage there is. The Baptist was preaching before an absolute monarch. He dare say that. In the days of the Scottish Reformation, John Knox, the preacher in St. Charles, Edinburgh, he got the courage when Queen Mary of Scott and her consort were sitting on the pews in front of him and he would dare to denounce their sins. He would say to the Queen's consort, well, you should really exercise some discipline over your wife. No wonder that in those days, everyone in Edinburgh would like to hear John Knox preaching because they did not know what John Knox would say to the Queen and the Council and the leaders in the congregation. Knox was such a man of courage. Of course, if John was alive today in Scotland, he would be put in prison after his first sermon. But coming back to ourselves, Paul says to Christian believers in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. My dear Christian friends, we are told to have no communion, no participation with the work of darkness. Not just that, we are to expose those works. But friends, come Monday morning, you go to work, you meet with colleagues, and with the courage, eventually, to point out to people, what they are doing is not It has become increasingly difficult in the Christian West, so to say, for Christians even to state the standard of basic human morality. We are not even mentioning biblical standards of morality. We are saying basic human decency, which Muslims, Buddhists, communists, Hindus would all agree. And yet we know, do we not? If we dare, to cross the red line and mention the immorality of anyone, we may get into big trouble. In the past, in the West, we boast of our freedom of speech. In the past, we say, I don't agree with what you say. 
but I will defend your right to say what you believe to death. But now, that freedom of speech is not only being undermined, but taken away. And friends, we know, if anything we need, we need courage. Especially for the rising generation. Now let's move on to consider the character of Herod Antipas. I would call him a coward, even though he was an absolute monarch. And we actually know a fair bit about him from secular history. Josephus, the Jewish historian, Roman historian, they wrote about him. He was a well-known character. And our Lord Jesus Christ called him that fox. He was a fox, cunning, unreliable. And our Lord Jesus himself later on was to stand trial before Herod Antipas, courtesy of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate wanted to dodge his responsibility when he heard that Jesus would be under Herod's jurisdiction. Pilate sent him to Herod, hoping that Herod would take over the case, but Herod would not. Herod was a weak character. He was duped and influenced by a bad woman. He was also a complex character. My friends, wickedness is complex. Righteousness is simple and straightforward. And you notice Herod was not entirely void of conscience. He got a conscience, and the conscience was working somewhat. You notice in verse 20 of Mark 6, he actually loved to hear the preaching of John the Baptist. And in verse 20, he says, he says, For heaven feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. When he hurt him, he did many things and hurt him gladly. Herod Antipas actually respected John. He loved to hear his preaching. He knew John was a holy and righteous man. This is a man. This is not one of my royal chaplains who would like to say whatever I like to hear. This is a man who dared to tell me the truth. I respect him. And when Herodias, his wife so-called, wanted to kill him, Herod said, no, we can't kill him. And when he heard John the Baptist preaching, well, uh, in our translation it says he did many things. In some of the manuscripts it says he was greatly perplexed. Maybe he was both. His conscience was stirred. And maybe he tried to do many things. It's just like the people in our culture, isn't it? You know, people think, well, 
We should be concerned for the environment. Surely we should. We should give to the poor, yes. We should condemn the war in Ukraine, yes. And you see, the people in our time, they are, they are so uh, zealous to do good, to be righteous, to give. And yet at the same time, they not only condone but promote all kinds of immorality and twisted things. Well, that is the complexity of a guilty conscience. Herod was disturbed, he did many things, he got a conscience, he tried to protect John the Baptist, and after he had killed John the Baptist, he heard of Jesus, and he said, from his bad conscience, this is John the Baptist coming back to life. I beheaded John, and this Jesus, who is he? This must be the Baptist coming back to life. And that's why he could do so many miracles. Well, this is Herod. We do pity him, do we not? Or we should? The guilty conscience is like that. The twisted conscience is like that. You know, even criminals have a conscience. And that was John the, that was Herod. Until one day, in verse 21, there was a good time, an opportune time came. It was Herod's birthday. And then Herodias sent her daughter to come in and to dance for Herod and the men. And they were so pleased with this girl's dancing. I won't dare to imagine how did she dance. Don't imagine. It wasn't good. But Herod was so pleased with her that she swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Well, he must be half drunk to say that. But he and the man, they were so pleased with this girl. They were... So excited. Now the girl, she was only a girl, poor girl. She went out, did not know what to ask. She went back to mother. Mother, what shall I ask? And Herodias, without a thought, said, the head of John the Baptist. And the girl came back with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That must be words of her mother. In case Herod vacillated, in case he would change his mind, and uh, the message is, I want at once immediately the head of John the Baptist on a plate to carry back to mother. 
What a request. And we are told in verse 26, the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse him. This is Herod again, with a bad and twisted conscience. Oh, what have I said? I didn't imagine this girl would, would ask for, for something like that. What should I do now? Oh, I must be a man of integrity. I must not swallow my word. I have I've sworn before this girl and, and before all this might of mine. I'm not going to lose face. I'm not going to break my promise. And yet, how can I kill John the Baptist like that? He was a righteous man. I'm trapped. Did he get bitter with his wife for a moment? Oh yes, he was snared, he was trapped. If you were John the Baptist, what would you say? I said, if you were Herod the king, what would you say? Maybe you're like me, you say, well, I don't know what to say. But he was a smart fellow. He should know what to say. You know, sometimes we admire these uh, politicians of what they can say. They're so smart. On one occasion, in Parliament, Winston Churchill was challenged by a woman. The woman said to her, she hated Winston Churchill, she said, if I were your wife, I would put poison in your coffee. Without a break, Churchill replied, if I were your husband, I would join you. Some of you can smile, some of you are not so quick in thinking. Well, and Herod the Antipas didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. Even though he was such a smart man, he couldn't break his promise. So he called his man, go to the prison which will be in his palace. Take the head of John the Baptist and carry it here. We see the contrast to King David, do we not? When the prophet Nathan confronted David, and he was so fearful, remember Nathan? He was called by God to go and confront David about his sin of adultery and murder, and Nathan feared for his wife. What would the king do under such circumstances? Well, you would lose your head, Nathan. King David may like you in the past, but you dare to confront him with his sin like that, you're going to get killed. You're so fearful. But David got the courage to confess his sin and repent. Herod, no such courage. Now we want to move on to consider the wicked courage of Herodias. When you think of that, Herodias was quite a character. Well, she had courage. 
depending on, on the person's perspective, people may say, well, Herodias was really a model woman. What was she like? She was daring. She was attractive. She was decisive. She was assertive. She was aggressive. She was seductive. She could woo any man's heart. And she followed her desire, her heart desire. She dared to run away from her husband and to be married with her brother-in-law. Hmm? I notice in our culture now, in our university history courses, Bad women in the past are now exalted to be role models. Queen Mary of Scots is now elevated to become a model woman. John North was buried and his gravestone was now a casket. That was lucky enough for John Knox. As things go in Scotland, soon his bones may be dug up and burned. Coming back to Herodias, she was cruel and revengeful. She never forgot when she heard John the Baptist dare to point out her sin with Herod, she was harbor harboring a grudge against him and she was plotting and planning for that day that she would kill John the Baptist in such a way. It was all planned. And that's why she sent her own daughter to dance in the birthday party of Herod Antipas. Look at this poor girl, a daughter of Herodias. She was groomed at a young age. Modeled by mother, taught by mother to have the stock in trade to move up the social ladder. How so? She was to learn how to attract men. She was only a girl. And attractive teenagers. And mother taught her how to seduce men. And she dared to dance before such a group of lustful men. These were men thirsty for blood, hunger for girls. And she was sent to that sort of situation. And she got the courage to go to, to that situation. And this dear girl, can you imagine? A young teenager girl carrying the plate. On that plate is the head of John the Baptist and carrying back to mother's quarters and present that to mother. What courage! Were hands shaking as she went.
So friends, I would like to say this. Or to God, if Herod and Herodias would have the courage to repent, they were so privileged to sit under the ministry of John the Baptist. If they, both of them, got the courage and say, Look, what we are doing is wrong, is immoral, is incestuous. Our lives are in a mess. What should we do? The Baptist got the courage to point out our sins. Let us sit down and think about what we should do. Everything of the courage. He might be thinking about that. Herodias didn't even have a single incarnation for that sort of thing. It must be that Herodias was already thinking about that, thinking of repentance, that Herodias got so nervous. What if she got sent back home? She would be rubbish, trash. I'm going to stop Herod thinking of that sort of thing. I must by all means stop him from even considering repentance. After John, the Baptist was killed by Herod. Herod had a bad conscience. I killed John the Baptist. My hands are full of blood, the blood of the Baptist. I saw his head. Might be a nightmare for many nights. Maybe for many nights you dream of the head of John the Baptist condemning him. Might be for a while. You know, eventually on Good Friday, our Lord Jesus was brought before heaven. And Herod, the wretched and wicked king, was trying the case of Jesus. And we are told, Herod was so happy. Oh, for a long while I want, wanted to see Jesus. I've heard many things about him. So he got Jesus standing before him and he asked Jesus, perform a miracle for me. Why don't, why don't you make this table fly up to the ceiling? Do something wonderful for me to, to see. Jesus would not do anything. And he questioned Jesus with many words, but our Lord Jesus answered him, nothing. You see, my dear friends, sometimes, our hearts can be tender and sensitive. But if anyone should keep on rejecting God, rejecting God, one day the Lord may just let that person be that person. And when that person should turn and ask the Lord, the Lord can choose to answer that person Nothing. You know there are many people who say, well, if there is a God in heaven, let him come down and speak to me. Well, you know what usually God does? 
Hmm? Usually God won't hear that sort of prayer or challenge. Why should I be at the back and core of such unbelievers? Jesus answered him nothing. And Herod, what did he do? He got his man of war, mocking Jesus, showing contempt on Jesus, mocking him by putting him, putting on him a mock gorgeous robe. My dear friends, Herod and Hippos missed his opportunity to be saved twice. Not many men got the privilege to hear the Baptist preaching and also meet Jesus face to face. Herod Antipas, he heard John's preaching time and again. He got Jesus standing before him, but he missed his opportunity to be saved because he had no courage to repent. Well, that is in sharp contrast to David's repentance. After David's repentance, he penned the 51st Psalm, and that is in contrast to the repentance of the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. These this Corinthians, they've been so foolish and ungrateful. They were led astray in various doctrinal matters, and they fell morally as well. But they got the courage to repent. But before I should finish, I would like to point you to the greatest courage of all. You know the greatest courage in all human history is not Alexander in battle, not even John in his preaching against Herod and Demas. It is the courage of our Lord Jesus Christ. That our Lord Jesus Christ dared to take the guilt and the punishment of so many sinners upon himself. The enormous load of human guilt was upon our Saviour Lord. My dear friends, consider this. God is the God of perfect justice. When our Lord Jesus bore the sins of all his people, the perfectly just God was laying upon Jesus our Lord the sin of one by one by one by one of all his people and all their sins. God did not say to his son Jesus, well, let me punish you a little bit and that will be done. But the perfectly just God laid upon all my sins upon Jesus. All your sins upon Jesus. Countless millions of his people. All the sins of all his people were laid upon him. 
or tell which things. Later on, Glenn's going to tell us about something of the famine in North Kenya. And we are going to give. We'll say, well, we may give 50 kilos of maize, or 100. But what if, what if we're asked to bear the whole load of the hunger in Yemen, in Afghanistan, and in all the places in North Korea, when we say, I can't, I can't bear the burden, I can't pay for all the bills if I sell all my houses and properties, if I withdraw all my money, if I go on without taking a single slice of bread, I can bear that burden. But our Lord Jesus, He got the courage, He got the ability, because it's not just man, it's God as well. He took upon the entire load of all the sins of all his people, the adultery of David, the murder of David, the lie of Abraham, the drunkenness of Noah, the folly of Lot, the blasphemy of Paul, the denial of Peter, and then my sin and yours. He took them all. He dared to take them all. What courage. I'll finish with this. Dare we to tell the hostile Western world the truth of God, the holiness of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and try to convert them to Christ. We may lose our friends, our jobs, our family members. Remember what Jesus says, one's enemies of one's household. In the past, it was Jewish convert, Muslim convert, who got kicked out by their families and friends. It is now in the West. This has become the lot of some Western Christians. And friends, have you not noticed already? Maybe you have. Our once Christian nations are now becoming anti-Christian nations. Scotland, England, Netherlands, Australia is going to follow. We are fast becoming anti-Christian nations. And that is simply the fact. It's no alarmist statement. And you and I are called in our own way, in our own relationship, with trembling hands and lips and tongues to tell the truth 
lovingly, with tears, under God of prayer, say to a dying world, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's pray. And we carry the load, the load of the filth and the dirt of our times. And we are troubled, we are helpless. But Lord God, we are so thankful to you that we are not a saviour of the world. Christ our Lord is the saviour. We don't have to bear the guilt and the punishment of the world. Christ our Lord has done so. We are only to tell people there's the Savior, there's forgiveness of sins, there's reconciliation, there's hope. Help us, O God. First to pray, then to tell the truth in love. For Jesus' sake, Amen.